Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the precious gift you have given us in your word. Lord, we pray that we may humble ourselves this morning as we hear your voice. And may we recognise that what you teach us about how we are to live is the true way to live. That so often in our minds we think that we know what is best for us but so often we lead ourselves astray as we follow our own sinful paths. Lord, we pray this morning that you may lead us on the right path by your voice and may we be able to live in a way that is pleasing to you and for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some commands in the Bible are specific to particular individuals. And so... Over the last couple of weeks, or quite a few weeks, we've been looking at 1 Peter, and we've seen Peter uh, speak to particular individuals. He's spoken to slaves, he's spoken to wives, and he's spoken to husbands. Um, But now he gives some particular commands to everyone. These commands that we're going to look at today are commands to everyone. And this is often the case in our own lives, that we have particular commands that are for particular individuals. And so in our home, there are commands that are only for Joshua, like do not touch the TV remote controls, is a command that's just specific to him as the individual in the home who is not allowed to touch the TV remotes. Whereas Jill and myself, we have unlimited access to the TV remote controls as much as we want. But Joshua, it's no. But then there's some commands that are for everybody in the home, like eat your dinner. All of us are required to, in the home, eat our dinner. Joshua is required to eat his dinner, and we show a good example to Joshua that everybody is supposed to do this by Jill and myself, eating all our dinner just like he is supposed to eat all his dinner, and so is his little sister, uh, Pip. She is supposed to eat all her dinner as well. She's not supposed to fall asleep during her dinner. She's supposed to eat it all so that she is satisfied and then doesn't wake up crying later on earlier than she's supposed to. And so that's what we've got here in the Bible. We've got commands that are for everyone, like eat your dinner. But what are Peter's commands here about? We've been going through 1 Peter 3, and now we've come to verse 8, and the commands here are for everyone. We see that by verse 8 where it says, Finally, all of you, everyone, all of you, what are you to do according to Peter here? Well, he's giving us commands as to how we are to live with others. They're not commands like don't touch the TV remote controls or eat your dinner, but about your relationship with other people, how you are to live with others. And so we've got six different things that Peter has given us here as to how we are to live with others. And if you've got a church bulletin, you can see those on the back, um, those six main points this morning as to how we are to live with others according to Peter. And so the first one we see this morning is that we're to live in harmony with one another. Verse 8, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. We're supposed to live harmoniously with other people around us, particularly with other Christians, with the church. What does it mean to live harmoniously? Well, a literal translation of this would be like-mindedness, to be like-minded in the way that you live. How does that play out? 
Well, one of the main ways that it plays out as a church is that we share the same doctrines. We live harmoniously, united around the same doctrines. And we, there is, it's hard to often understand why churches divide in different denominations. You have the Presbyterians, you have the Anglicans, and you have the Baptists, you have Methodists, you have all the different denominations. Aren't we all supposed to get along and live harmoniously? How does this work? What does Peter want us to do here in harmonious living? Well, the easy way to understand it is that there's different levels of importance of doctrines in the Bible. There's primary level doctrines, which unite all Christians, and we live harmoniously with all Christians on those doctrines. So doctrines like the divinity of Christ, the way of salvation, the, um, the Trinity, All those doctrines unite all Christians. So the Presbyterian Church up the road, we unite harmoniously with them in teaching scripture in the local schools those core doctrines. They're primary level doctrines and we live harmoniously with those Christians and recognize them as brothers and sisters in Christ. But we do separate on Sundays. Why do we do that? Well, because of second, secondary doctrines, uh, second level doctrines. And they're doctrines that we unite with as a local church because uh, to unite with other people, other Christians, we wouldn't be able to actually carry out many of the functions of a local church. So secondary level issues are things like baptism. Either you baptise infants or you don't baptise infants. And so as a local church, we separate ourselves from those who do baptise infants because we recognise that we think the Bible says that infants shouldn't be baptised. And so we live harmoniously with them on core level doctrines, on primary level, but at a secondary level, we live harmoniously with those who are Baptists, who are similar thinking with us. And then the third level are doctrines that don't really get in the way of local church, uh, living harmoniously at a local church level. And so they're things like eschatology. When, how Jesus will come back, when he will come back, these kinds of things, which there's a difference of opinion, but it's not going to affect how you actually operate your local church. So we are to live harmoniously as Christians. We are to live harmoniously with other Christians on primary level issues. We are to live harmoniously with other Christians who share our understanding of baptism and church government. If you don't share an understanding on church government, if you think that the bishop should be in charge and the other person thinks that the congregation should be in charge, well, when you sit down for a church meeting, you're going to have all kinds of issues. You aren't going to be able to get along. So you separate on the secondary level issues but live harmoniously with other Christians who share those. And then you live harmoniously with people who share doctrines that are at a tertiary level, at a third level, because you recognise that they aren't going to impact on the way you do things, but you recognise that there's some freedom there to choose those different understandings of Scripture. Now, this is particularly important for us to understand at the moment because Dremoyne Baptist Church is adopting a new statement of faith. You all, members of the church who have received uh, letters, uh, we've been looking at this for over 12 months now, and you've received a new statement of faith, and it's important for you to understand whether you can live harmoniously with the other members of the church on that statement of faith, how you understand Jesus Christ and what he did and whether he was raised to life, what you understand about the way of salvation, what you understand about baptism, 
It's all there in that statement of faith. And if you are to live harmoniously, then you must be in agreement on that statement of faith. So I encourage you, if you are a member of the church, not to just sort of glance at that and move on, but to take Peter's advice here and try and live harmoniously by making sure you're like-minded on that statement of faith. But does like-mindedness mean that you can't have an opinion about other things? Does it mean that there's no room for differences between us? Well, I've already mentioned at a tertiary level on theological issues there can be differences, but we should also encourage differences as in us as individuals. Churches should be made up of people of different genders, different racial backgrounds, different interests, different gifts and abilities, we shouldn't be all uniting around particular interests. Being like-minded does not mean that you can't have different interests from those around you. You can't be thinking in a different way. No, you're supposed to live harmoniously like an orchestra has many different instruments that make many different sounds, but they all work together for the same purpose. And that's the idea, I think, here in 1 Peter that we as a church should be different people all uniting around a common cause to make Jesus Christ known. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what you are interested in through the week, what hobbies you have. No, you can all come together and unite as a harmony for the common cause of glorifying our God. And that's what we should be encouraging at a church. And this is why I think some churches that discourage that kind of thing going on are going down a a bad path. When you start to have services that are dedicated to a particular age bracket, to have kids' church or a young adult's church, or to have people that are services that are dedicated to a particular type of interest. So you have a church service for those who are young artists or you have a church service for you know punk rockers i mean this is something in america of course um they have all kinds of things there but there's churches like that where you will have punk rock music in the church service and so you get all these young people with um mohawks and strange looking clothes and they're there commonly together uniting around that interest that they have But that's not what's being spoken about here. Harmonious living is different people coming together around the one common cause of Jesus Christ. One of the beautiful things about the church is the diversity of people that make it up. When you segregate yourselves into particular groups based on other things, you miss that beautiful picture of people of all kinds of backgrounds uniting around Jesus Christ. And so we've got to encourage that. We've got to encourage people from all backgrounds uniting together at a local church and in the church in general, uniting together despite what differences they may have. So first thing we're meant to do is live in harmony, like-mindedness. How else are you to live with others? What else does Peter teach us? Well, my second main point this morning is be sympathetic. Be sympathetic. And it's there in verse 8 as well. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. What does it mean to be sympathetic? What does it mean to show sympathy to someone? Well, to show sympathy to someone means entering into their experience with them, trying to understand what they are going through 
and share that experience with them. The Bible speaks elsewhere about rejoicing with those who rejoice. When someone's rejoicing about something, to show sympathy to them, to understand their experience means to rejoice with them, to think about how wonderful the experience they are having is and share it with them. What's the opposite of doing that? Well, it's getting bitter and upset that they're having fun and you aren't, that you haven't got what they've got, and so you become bitter about their experience. No, you're meant to show sympathy. You're meant to understand their experience and join in with them. And the other way that the Bible speaks about this is weep with those who weep. When someone is going through a painful experience and they're upset about something, then the way you show sympathy is trying to understand what they're experiencing and trying to help them through that, trying to compensate for some of the the problems they've got in their life by going over from your own life and sharing with them and helping them. I remember when I was a... uh, a podiatrist, uh, learning about how much the foot can affect the other parts of the body. And uh, if you get an ingrown toenail, just a little ingrown toenail, a slither of nail that's poking into the skin, the whole body can end up compensating for that just that little piece of nail. And if it's in the big toe there, then the foot tries to compensate by arching more, which then throws out the ankle. It can't comp- um, take shock through it. And so the ankle is, is impinged, so the lower leg tries to help out, which then affects the knee, which then affects the upper leg, which then affects the hip, which then affects the back, which then, of course, affects the neck, which then affects your head. And so one little ingrown toenail throws out the whole body and you've got a headache. The whole body's compensating, is entering into sympathy to try and help out the pain that's there in that toe. And that's what we're meant to be doing as Christians. When someone else is in pain, is suffering, needs our help, we compensate, we try and help them, we try and show sympathy to them for what they're going through. So first thing was to live in harmony. Second is sympathy. How else are we meant to live? What else does Peter command us to do? Well, my third main point is to love as brothers. Finally, verse 8, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. We're supposed to love one another. And most people will say, yes, of course. Of course I love other people. But we're supposed to love as brothers. What does that mean? We're supposed to love one another as family. The bond between family, the brotherly love that goes on, sisterly love, the love between parents and children, is a very, very special bond. It's a different type of love. There's a real care, a real desire to help the other person. And that's what we're meant to be doing with other Christians. Why? Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ We are united through our relationship with Jesus and we're united through our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ and so we're supposed to show that dear intimate love that we have for our own family with the family of God. We're supposed to care for them in a way that is very special, in a love that is it goes through thick and thin. If your brother or sister hurts you in a particular way, you get through it differently. 
as if it was a friend who did it instead. With a friend, you might be tempted to give them the flick and not be friends with them anymore. But if they're your brother or sister, you know that you're going to have to keep on loving them because of the relationship you have with them. And it's the same with people at church. You're meant to keep loving them despite what they do because they're still your brother. They're still your sister in Christ. And you're meant to show that love to them. So that's number three. We've seen we're meant to live in harmony. We've seen we're meant to be sympathetic. We're meant to love as brothers. What's number four? Well, number four is be compassionate. Verse eight as well. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate. What does it mean to be compassionate? What does it mean to show compassion? Well, the literal translation of this would be good-hearted or tender-hearted, to show a tender heart to those around us, which means you be caring and kind and patient with those around you, being sensitive to their emotions, not insensitive. When someone is upset, to show a tender heart is to be sympathetic and to really feel your heart move for that person, to really love that person, and to show them the kindness and patience that they need. It also means that you show affection to others, doesn't it? To be tender-hearted, to be compassionate, you can show affection. At the moment, Joshua has a new way, my son, of showing affection to, um, to mainly to Jill and myself, but I've seen him do it to other people, where he just suddenly squeals and runs up and just bangs into you. doesn't hug you, but just bangs into your side and then just keeps doing it again and again and again, squealing with delight. It's a sign of affection. It's not a sign of affection I appreciate all that much when I'm washing up and he's there banging into the side of my leg, but he's showing his affection. Now, how we show affection differs from person to person. And I'm not suggesting that we should all start doing that, having it be like dodging cars at church lunches. We're all banging into one another. No, uh, we're not to follow Joshua's example. Uh, that's his way, and I think it's a way that should stay with little children. But you do have ways of showing affection. You have ways of showing affection to those that you love. And with the people of God, with the other ch- members of your church, you're meant to show affection for them to be tender-hearted towards them and to be compassionate towards them. That's number four. So we've seen we're meant to live in harmony, we're meant to be sympathetic, we're meant to love, we're meant to be compassionate. Number five, how else are we meant to live with others? Well, we're meant to be humble. Verse eight, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. What's it mean to be humble? Well, it means to be the opposite of proud, doesn't it? It means to recognise that you are the person you are, that you're not someone that you want to be or exalt yourself over others. And I think it's important that Peter puts it here because you could start going through this list and thinking, yes, I'm a harmonious person. I live with others in harmony. Yes, I'm a sympathetic person. Yes, I love other people as brothers. And yes, I'm a very compassionate person. But if you're going through that, ticking them all off and saying how wonderful you are, well, then you fall down at number five, don't you? Because you're not a very modest person. 
as you're going through that list and saying, aren't I good? Aren't I doing all the right things here? You're not being humble at all. And so as we do all these things, we're meant to remember to be humble, the humility that we're meant to have. Because if we aren't humble, then we are exalting ourselves and saying how wonderful we are. And instead of being self-exalting, we should be Christ-exalting. We should be exalting God. Because when we see ourselves treating other people well, it's not really you. It's God working in you, giving you the power to be a harmonious uh, liver, to be a person who is sympathetic, to be a person who loves his brothers, to be compassionate. When you see that happening in your life, it is only because of God and his grace to you. You're just an observer as God works in you. And you should be saying, Look at what's happening, what God is doing in my life. If that was me, I wouldn't be doing that. All the glory is God's. And that's what we do if we're a humble person. We recognize how bad we are and how wonderful our God is in that he shows his grace and mercy to sinners like us and enables us to do wonderful good works for him. So we're meant to be humble as well. We're meant to live harmoniously, we're meant to be sympathetic, we're meant to love, we're meant to be compassionate, we're meant to be humble. And then one last thing. What's the last thing? Number six, repay evil with blessing. Repay evil with blessing. So verse nine of chapter three, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. When someone wrongs you, the automatic reaction is to wrong them back, is to get them back for what they've done to you. But Peter says no. God says no, that's not the attitude you're meant to have. No, you're meant to bless those who wrong you, just as God blesses those who wrong him. Remember who you are. You're a sinner which means you're a rebel against God. You have wronged him again and again and again. And what has he done to you again and again and again? He has blessed you. He doesn't return your insults with insults, but he continues to bless you. And that is the attitude you're meant to have towards those who insult you, who do evil against you, is you're meant to turn around and bless them in return. How do you bless them? Well, you be kind and generous. You think of ways to show them uh, that you love them. Even though they may be your enemy, you still love them and care for them. And you don't go back and do evil to them because they've done evil to you. So, six ways. You're to live with others. Live in harmony. Be sympathetic. Love them as brothers be compassionate, be humble, and repay evil with blessing and not evil in return. Now, if you're not a Christian, I want you to recognise how much you've failed to do these things. You've failed repeatedly to be a harmonious person with others around you, to be sympathetic, to love other people, to be compassionate, to be humble, and to repay evil with blessing. 
again and again and again you failed to live the way that God says you should live. And you can't make it up. You could be a, a harmonious person, a sympathetic person, a love, loving person, a compassionate person, a humble person for the rest of your life perfectly and it still wouldn't be enough because once you've sinned once, once you've not been compassionate, once you've not sympathised, once you've not loved someone else, you've committed sin and for that you deserve to be punished. And the only way to escape that punishment is to have Jesus take the punishment for you. That as he hangs at the cross, that he is being punished for you. You believe that his blood washes away your unsympathetic self, your incompassionate self, your unloving self, your, your, your self who lives in disharmony with others, who always wrongs others for the wrong they've done to you. Jesus takes the punishment that you deserve for those sins and settles it with the Father, that he covers over the wrath of God for you. How do you accept Jesus to do that for you? You just need to repent of your sin, of failing again and again with these commands, and believe that Jesus did take that punishment for you. That's what you need to do. Good works, living this way, will never make up for all the times that you failed. You just can't do it. And it would be unjust of God to let you go free for breaking the law. Punishment must be met. It will either be met in yourself or it needs to be met in Jesus Christ. It is so wonderful that there is an option that God offers Jesus Christ to you. And I encourage you, if you're not a Christian, to accept it today. But what about if you are a Christian? Well, I want you to recognise how often you continue to fail to do these things. Christians don't claim that they have been perfect all their lives. No, they recognise that they have failed again and again and have trusted in Jesus Christ to take the punishment for them. But you are supposed to not live badly and Jesus just keeps on absorbing the punishment for your sin. No, you're meant to change. If you are truly repentant, it means you turn from sin and turn to righteousness. And so you need to come to God again and again and recognise that you're not living as harmoniously as you should and you need God's help. How many times have you been, have you broken harmony with those around you? with other Christians of other churches, with Christians within your own church? How much have you been the cause of disharmony? You need to recognise that you have. Confess it to God. Ask for his forgiveness and ask for his help so that you live harmoniously. Do you live as sympathetically as you should, understanding what people are going through and sharing their pain? Repent and ask for God's help so that you can be more sympathetic than you have been. Do you live as lovingly as you should? Loving fellow Christians as brothers and sisters in Christ. We all fail again and again and we need to repent and ask God to help us to live lovingly. Do you live as compassionately as you should? 
When people think of you, do they think you are a compassionate person, a tender-hearted person? We fail so often. Repent and ask God to help you to be a compassionate person, to be tender-hearted, to show affection to those around you. Do you live as humbly as you should? We all love to exalt ourselves. Whenever we do something good, there's a little voice saying, well done you. Whereas we should be recognising, well done God, in what he's doing in you. We need to repent and humble ourselves and ask God for his help to show us who we really are and how wonderful he is. And do you live as someone who blesses those who hurt you, those who do evil against you? Do you repay them with blessing? So often we fail and we wrong them back for what they've done to us. We need to repent and ask God for his help so that we may repay evil with blessing instead. Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that you have shown us how we are to live. But Lord, we recognise that we fail so miserably to live according to the way you would have us live. That we live in disharmony so often, that we are unsympathetic, that we do not love people, your, your people, as brothers and sisters, that we are not people of compassion, that we are not humble, and that we so often wrong others back. Lord, we pray that you may forgive us and that you may enable us to live the way that you would have us live. Help us to be compassionate. Help us to live in harmony. Help us to love others as brothers. Help us to be sympathetic and humble and to bless others when they wrong us. And Lord, we pray for anyone this morning here that is not a Christian. Help them recognise how badly they have failed and that they cannot help themselves, but they need you to help them through Jesus Christ. May they repent of their sinfulness and believe that Jesus atones for their sin. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.